We're in a, in a series on the book of Ruth, and, uh, and I am just humiliated. So what I'm going to do, where do you run, right? Where do you run? Just what we're talking about. I'm going to run to Scripture. I'm going to read to you the third chapter of the book of Ruth. You can follow along in your Bible. If you have it on your phone, you can follow along. If you want, just listen. Just listen to a beautiful story. All right, here we go. Verse one, Ruth chapter three. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. Don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, Note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down on the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am the guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty, it is as your guardian redeemer good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl which you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So let's do a little bit of review. Let's think back. We looked a couple weeks ago at chapter one. And chapter one talks about there's a famine in Israel. It's the time of the judges. It's a time where there is, there is darkness and, and, and there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of God's children strayed and got into all kinds of trouble and brought all kinds of trouble onto the land of Israel. And uh, this is one of those times, famine has hit the land. There's a man named Elimelech, he's married to Naomi. He's got two young boys. And he hears that there's food in Moab, which is not far away, not that far away. And so he makes the trip to Moab. And I know a lot of people find fault here, but, but I, we mentioned this before, I would do the same thing for my family. I would do the same thing for my family. Um, if they told me that, there was food, and I, my, I thought my kids might starve. I'd go. So I, I, don't, I don't think too badly of him. But bad things did happen, right? Um, he dies. His, his two sons marry two Moabite 
uh, women, and then his two sons die. And so it definitely has been a tragedy that has happened to this family. Naomi decides it's the only thing she can do. What can she do? Women are so defenseless in these situations in that culture. He says, she says, I'm going home, right? And the, and the two daughter-in-law say, you know, are, like we're going with you. And then she turns to them and she says, no, don't go with me. Don't go with me. There's no hope for you in Israel, right? Because, because Naomi knows that for the Israelites, there is, there is a hatred for the Moabites because something that had occurred quite a while ago and God even had told them, be, stay away from them. They're dangerous. They, they turned your ministry and, and uh, they worshiped the God Chemosh, uh, uh, which involves sometimes child sacrifice as far as we know. And so she said, look, there's no hope for you in Israel. And, and what she's kind of saying, the undercurrent is, no, no Jew is going to marry a Moabite. You got no hope. Go home. Go home. You may find a husband if you go home that may work out for you well. And, and, and one daughter-in-law says, I will. I will go back. And, uh, but Ruth says, no, I, I'm not going back. And Ruth gives what is a very famous statement that is just beautiful and powerful. And uh, it's beautiful. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And so she utters this. And, and even in that last part, she, she couches it in, in like a covenant. May God deal with me if I forsake you. God can kill me for that. If, if I forsake you, is basically what she's saying. And she comes with Naomi, and Naomi gets home, and they say, oh, is it Naomi? You know, is this you? And she says, I'm not Naomi anymore. I'm Mara. And Mara means bitter, because the Lord has dealt with me bitterly. And then she gives this lament. It's a classic uh, um, lament that we see throughout the Bible. And I know if you read that passage, and we, we did it a couple weeks ago, but if you read it on your own, your, your first thought is, how can she say this? You can't say that to God. But it's interesting because she does. And so does Job. And so do a bunch of psalmists. They lament and they question God. And God says, that's okay. I understand. I'm, I'm with you in this. I understand. Don't let go of me because you will finally see at some point. But then we have uh, Psalm 83, I think, where it is a long lament and there's no happy ending. It just ends. It just ends. And, and it, is, it is powerful for us to see that, to understand that our God understands when we are angry. He understands when we are bitter. And we, when we express it, he doesn't condemn us like, like we've done something horrible. He says, just keep talking to me. Just keep talking to me. So we see her with this strong lament. Then we go to chapter two. And Ruth goes to glean in the fields. And we talked about gleaning and what's involved in gleaning. And she's following along. Basically, uh, gleaning is for the people who are destitute. They follow the reapers and they just pick up whatever scraps that the reapers missed. They're allowed to pick up. God tells uh, um, um, farmers, Jewish farmers, when you go through your field, let them follow you. Don't do the corners. Leave the corners unreaped so they, can, they have a chance to get enough food, to eat, sustenance, to live on in times of famine or if they're just 
and to- totally down and out. And so then a series of just so happens. It says, and it just so happened. And this is, this is the writer cluing us in on God's providence is happening here. The writer's saying, what a coincidence. And he's not saying, what a coincidence. He's saying, God is involved in this. It just so happens that it is a field that belongs to Boaz. And it just so happened that Boaz visited that field on the day that Ruth was there gleaning. And it just so happened that Boaz, it says he noticed her. He noticed her. He was looking around and he says, I don't know her. Who is that woman? Why is she here all by herself? Who's protecting her? Who, who, who should, whose cloak should she be under? And it just so happened that Boaz is a close relative, a kinsman redeemer. And he is a godly man. And we see this godly man go above and beyond what is required by the law. A series of actions that show that he's not only a good man, but that he has noticed her. He's interested. He's willing to look past cultural stereotypes and racial stereotypes and religious stereotypes and see her for who she is. He noticed her. And we saw Naomi begin to see what was happening. And she went from bitter to blessed. She starts saying, blessed is the Lord. Why? Because she understands the situation. She says, that's the nearest kinsman redeemer. And he noticed you. He's interested in you. He's going beyond what he would be required to do for you. And these are subtle little expressions that he's giving her. And so she sees the just so happened and she understands it is the hand of God and so she acts. She tells her what's going to happen. I want you to see here too as we get into chapter three, the love, the love between Naomi and Ruth. Naomi wants what is best for Ruth and Ruth wants what is best for Naomi. It shows up over and over and over in this book. It is a relationship that is built on love. It finds its origin in the love of God and God's love for them, and it builds in their relationship. It's a wonderful thing to have that kind of a relationship with another person. Total trust that the other person wants what's best for you. That's an amazing thing to have, all right? So here we go. I want you to see first, we have an an obedient daughter, verses one through six, and daughter-in-law. I just didn't want to write in-law, all right? Here we go, verses one and two. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, my daughter, there you go. I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. All right, so she's telling her something. She's saying, I want you to find this home. This word has this idea of rest, a place where you can rest, a place where you are at home and you feel, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, we just had our group return from Arizona. And years ago, when I was taking groups out to Arizona, I loved going out to Arizona. I loved it. But then when I got home, there was something about getting home, my home, my family, my bed, after sleeping out under the stars all those nights. It just was special. It's my home. And she says, you need this. This is what I want for you. Because even if this keeps going on, even if Boaz keeps looking after us, and at the end of chapter two, we learned he was letting her glean way more than she, than she should have. He was giving her extra. He told her stay for, the, for the, the barley and the wheat harvest, which is approximately three months long. He says, 
I'm, I want to take care of you. I'm taking care of you. And she says, if they, even if this keeps going on this way, we're still on the margins. We're still two women who are not being protected. We're under no one's cloak. We're not having anyone to protect us. And she's saying, I want you to be safe. I want you to have a home. And she gives her instructions. And all these instructions, I really believe, are based on what she's been seeing for the past three months, how he's behaved. And so she's giving her instructions. She sees God is working. She believes Boaz is unmistakably signaling interest. And so she is wise. She says, verse three, wash, put on perfume, get your hair did, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what to do. All right. So she's saying, I want you to put on your best clothes. Because there is a possibility that she's been still wearing her clothes of mourning over the death of her husband. But even if she hasn't, what has she been wearing? Her work clothes. She's been working in the field. Right. And so Naomi is just being a wise Mom, hey, dress up, look good. Don't, no, not that, no, not that. Yeah, look good, look good. Put on perfume. Now, remember something. Ruth is a foreigner, so she doesn't know all the customs that are going on. Much like for, for us, we don't know all the customs that are going on. We're picking up ideas on what's going on and seeing that those are probably customs that were very common in that day. But for her, this could be kind of scary. This could be kind of nervy. And Naomi is telling her, Ruth, listen to me. I know, I know what I'm talking about here. Get dressed up. Put on perfume. Look good. Now this is what you do. This is what you do. And so she tells her, I want you to do this. I want you to do this this way. Verse four, when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, lying down right at his feet. And then he will tell you what to do. She's saying, you do this and then he'll take over because he will understand what just happened. All right, and so verse five, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Ruth says, I will do this. She trusts Naomi. She's trusting Naomi. In a, in a really difficult situation, she trusts Naomi. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Because, it, you know, you think about this, this sounds a little risky. She's a, she's a young widow. She's going to the threshing floor. Generally, the threshing floor, it was the men who did that. Right? And so there's men there. And she's putting herself in a, in a, in a difficult situation. Verse 11 tells us that she's a woman. People have recognized that she's a woman of excellence. In three months, they've seen her character, right? You think about this. What were they expecting? What would the average Jew expect when they saw a Moabite? How would they react? They would say things like, we hate Moabites. They're evil. They're not a part of our religion. And they would know all the stereotypes based on things they'd heard in the past. Moabite women are harlots. All those racial stereotypes, religious stereotypes, social stereotypes. But what's happening? What's happening here in this town? They've been won over. They, they're, they're beginning to see in verse 11, and we'll get to that in a minute. They're beginning to see she's a woman of excellence. 
And that has a, some really strong meaning. She, she, that's the same word used in Proverbs 31. There are many women who have done well, but you have excelled above them all. It's a powerful word. So she's begun to build this reputation of being someone who really does fear God, someone who really wants to walk after God, someone who wants to serve her mother-in-law till the day she dies, something incredibly admirable. And now, now her mother-in-law is telling her, sneak onto the threshing floor and kind of stay on the edges until he goes to sleep, then sneak up. You know, this could look terrible. This could look terrible. It could be misconstrued by people. Also, Boaz could take advantage of her. Naomi doesn't think he would. I'm sure Ruth doesn't think he would, but that's always a worry. People might hear this and they'd think the wrong thing and all the good would be undone in an instant. So the first question we run into is, what is this uncovering of the feet? Well, the first and most sensible thing is, you uncover his feet, the nights get cool, they're usually up on a high area where it's breezy, and he's going to get his feet cold. He's going to get, his feet get cold, and he wakes up. That's the whole point of this, is she wants him to wake up. And, and, and then he's going to take charge, because there's a deeper meaning involved in that, and we'll get to that. In verse 6, she obeyed everything that she told her to do. She did exactly, she trusted her in something that could look really sketchy. She trusted her. All right, so here we go. This is an obedient daughter. Now we have a bold proposal. I want you to see this, what's going to happen here. In verse 7, it says, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So, Let's talk a little bit about this. We talked about threshing. We talked about winnowing and, and, and how grain was done. But, but that was how an individual did it. Now let's talk about how it happens in a group setting. What, what they would do is there would be the threshing floor, which was an area of land that had been prepared many times over. Uh, they would do different things. They would, they would wet it. They would, they would stomp on it. They would tromp animals until it became a very hard, hard. And I've seen some pictures of it. I mean, Phil and Angela may have seen them, but seen some pictures of it, and it's, it's very hard, and it's remarkably smooth. And then they would round it with stones, this huge circle. They would round it with stones, and then they would do this. They would throw the, they would throw the, the barley or the wheat. They would throw it up in the air because you, now you have the stock, and then you have the head with the chaff, and then, and then the, the kernels, which are the important part. And when a breeze comes off the Mediterranean, and, and especially they were saying they would do it uh, late afternoon into the evening is when the breeze was right and, and uh, not too windy. What happens, all right? Uh, they've, been, they've been working on this grain. They've been crushing it and stomping on it and everything. So the heads, the, the, the kernels fall straight down. And the stalks go just a little ways away, but the chaff just goes. And the reason is because they'll gather up that stalk like hay and they'll use it the chaff is worthless, but the kernels are the most important part. So the stones that rounded that kept too much of it, anything from getting blown away that they wanted to keep. Uh, the chaff would just go with the wind. And they would toss it up in the air like this with a winnowing fork. They would toss it up in the air, which is, you know, just something we see all the time. They toss it up in the air over and over and over until they get distinct clumps of, of the kernel 
and then the, the stalk laying around and the chaff just goes. And the chaff just goes. And remember, we, we mentioned Psalm 1, the wicked are like chaff. The wicked blow with any direction of the wind. Wherever the wind's going, that's where the wicked go. They have no substance. They have no foundation. They have nothing strong to stand on. And so they just are just like chaff. It's worthless. They just go. So that's the picture they would have been thinking of. So there'd be this beating and this crushing. There'd be this throwing. Then they'd collect and they would bag uh, or put in various forms of storage, but oftentimes uh, like bagging the kernels, they'd gather up the stock and wrap it all up to be used later. And then they've worked into the night. So then they would celebrate, especially when it's the final day, they would celebrate at how God has blessed them. And, and the famine is over, the land is producing well, and so the celebration would be real heartfelt, and, and they, would, they would celebrate. And then some people, men, would sleep the night with the grain to protect it because it's valuable. It's incredibly valuable. And so they would sleep with it to protect it through the night. Now, a couple of things real quick. It says he was in good spirits. First thing we think, oh, he got drunk. Oh, Naomi is so smart, right? No, it doesn't mean he got drunk. It means literally he's happy. He's thankful. He's joyful. Now, they're drinking wine and they're eating, right? But it does not imply that he's drunk because the worst thing you want to have is the people guarding your grain to be drunk. You just don't want that. So I, I, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think we would jump to that. People want to jump to that, but I don't think we need to jump to that. And, and knowing the character of him, it seems like that would be impossible. All right. So uh, she comes quietly. She uncovers his feet and she lays down and waits for the cool night air to disturb him by making his feet cold. Verse eight, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there, I love this, there was a woman at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are guardian redeemer of our family. All right, so I, I looked for something that could illustrate this and I, all I could find was a children's comic book. Uh, but, I like this because this is one of the few illustrations that show the stones and the idea there's a pile of grain and the idea that there's other people there and that she is laying at his feet. She's laying at his feet. So um, this is when, if, we were, if this was a movie, there would be this, dun, 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 dun. Who are you? What are you doing here? Right? And she answers him and she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. All right? So, so he's startled in the night. Here's this woman laying at his feet. He doesn't exactly know what to think, but all of a sudden he begins to realize what she's just asked him to do. Spread the corner of your garment. She's saying, she is not saying, let's spread the blanket and snuggle. She is not saying that. Some people like to think she's saying that. You'll see that written sometimes. She is not, because she very emphatically says the corner which, which could be much like the corner of a shawl that Jewish men would wear. I was reading one guy and said some of, some of these uh, uh, guys, even when they worked, they would, they would wear with the, the tassel hanging down. And, and remember, that's the tassel, that tzitzit was what um, the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. 
because it's such a powerful symbol to them. And she's saying, just put it over me. Just put it over me. And, and basically, um, what she's saying is, will you marry me? Isn't this crazy in, this, in that culture? I mean, it happens sometimes in our culture, but not a lot. She's saying, will you marry me? She's proposing to him. She's asking him, I want to come under your care. I want to come under your cloak. I want you to be the protection for me. Will you marry me? So you could kind of say maybe he's kind of proposed already. The way he's acted towards her has shown her that he's very interested. I mean, it's like this. Um, when I proposed to my wife, right, I knew she was going to say yes. You know, I mean, right, most of the time if you propose you kind of know the person is going to say yes. I knew my wife was going to say yes. But can I tell you something? My heart was pounding. <sighs> I was breathing hard. We were sitting on the couch in her parents' house, and she just looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? And I said, me? Nothing. I'm fine. You know? And she goes, I could see your shirt moving from your heart beating so hard. Oh, really? Well, just a second, I'll be right back. And I ran to the car. I had these ideas of how I'd propose, and I just said, I've, just, I've blown it. I've just blown it. You know, the cat's out of the bag. So I ran to the car. I got the, came back, and I said, will you marry me? And I see the ring. And, and she's, you know, first she was just like, oh, I love you. And she kissed me, and I kissed her. And then I said, hey. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd answer that question. And, um, and uh, she said, yes. And um, I knew she was going to say yes but I was scared. I was scared. And so I think, I think Naomi and I think Ruth, they, they kind of know he's going to say yes, but this is, this, is, uh, this is a scary thing. This is a scary thing. And so Naomi instructs Ruth, I want you to propose to him. Interesting side note, I came across this reading a, uh, um, this Jewish guy, and he was did, talking about the book of Ruth, and he said, uh, an interesting side note in Jewish law, a woman who converts to Judaism has to wait three months before she can marry. So if you do the math, it's been about three months since she's come back. It's been about three months since she, when she said, your God is my God. I'll follow you, I'll follow him. It's been about three months. And so she's eligible which may have been why this all played out for three months with, with Boaz, of him just waiting. He knew he had to wait. Don't know for sure, but I feel like Paul Harvey, and that's the rest of the story, good day. Everyone over 50 knows what I just said. Okay, so she's saying, will you marry me? Will you cover me with your garment? Will you take the responsibility of being my husband? And it's interesting. In, uh, in Ruth chapter 2, in Ruth chapter 2, Boaz says to her, he says, he's, he tells her how impressed he is with her. He says, may the Lord repay what you've done. May you be richly re rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, on who, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Remember, we talked about that last week. He said, no one's, got, no one's covering you, but God is covering you. You're under his wings. God is covering. He will protect you. And what, what Ruth is kind of saying to Boaz now, will you answer your prayer, please? Because that came in a form of a prayer. Will you answer your prayer by marrying me and taking me under your wing, therefore under God's protection also? 
It's like she's saying, so tell me what you want, what you really, really want, right? If you want to be my redeemer, you got to make it last forever. Something like everyone under 50, right? Now, it's so interesting because one of the big questions is, why does she come at night? And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, it tells us when you're dealing with a kinsman redeemer, if a kinsman redeemer refuses to exercise his authority as kinsman redeemer, he is to be taken to the city gate and publicly shamed. And uh, and it involves a couple of different things. He's to be taken. And the city gate, remember, this is where all the judicial happenings happen. This This is where all the community things happen. This is the core This is like city hall and the courtroom, courthouse and everything wrapped in one spot. It's the place where everything happens. It's the place where all the news spreads from. It's a wonderful kind of idea the way they did that because anybody could stop and listen to the city council and everything they were saying and the courtroom and everything that was being said. And so so if that man who refuses to do his duty is shamed, she's coming to Boaz, I think, at night to say, if you say no, it's okay. There'll be no shame. There'll be no public. There'll be nothing. She's telling him, you can say no and there'll be no repercussion. Because she understands, I think, the possibilities here. She still understands she's a Moabite. This is a huge thing. She's a widow. She has nothing to offer him. She is on welfare. She has no dowry. And so I think she's saying, Ruth saying, and Naomi, they're both, in a sense, there is a slim possibility. There is a possibility, though, that he'll say no. And he's been so good to us, we don't want him shamed. We don't want to make it public in any way. And so it's, she's basically saying, if you'll do this, I'll just, I'll just turn and leave right now, and no one will know. There will be no repercussions. You think about this. We are watching we are watching, you know, in a sense, this collision. It's not a collision, but this of a godly man and a godly woman with a godly mother-in-law, and they are all thinking of each other ahead of themselves. It's amazing. Can you imagine how that could melt the heart of Boaz? Here comes this woman, and she says, I would like to marry you. I think you're interested in me, but if you don't want me, it's no problem. I won't bother you. Man. It's like, I don't think she did it this way, but man, it's almost a, a great way to convince him to marry her. Because they're thinking maybe it's simply that he is a godly man and he's sharing his wealth in a very generous way because he's obeying God and following the law and he's doing it way past the requirement of the law, but maybe he's just that kind of guy. And so she's saying, you will maintain your honor. There'll be no ramifications. And he sees this too. He sees she's doing something incredible and yet being very gracious at the same time. I mean, she's thinking of me and what's best for me. So she's laying at his feet. There are some who want to say something illicit is going on here. Uh, But the text clearly says she uncovered just his feet. And the the Hebrew seems to, according to a number of scholars, emphasize that she is laying at his feet, not next to him. And so this cover me statement is symbolic for marriage and protection. Will you marry me? 
Also, since he's a kinsman redeemer in the family, she is saying, basically, will you marry me? And you are the kinsman redeemer of our family at the end of verse 9, which is saying, Naomi's part of the deal, dude. Naomi is part of the deal. If you take me, you're taking her. That's what has to happen. So, so in verse, let's go to 10 and 11. He, he reacts. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The kindness, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. You are an excellent woman. He's humbled by this. He says, the Lord bless you. It's this idea of showing delight and surprise and asking God to give blessing because, because of it. And then he says this interesting statement, the kindness is, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. And, and what is he saying? He's saying we all know about the fact that you left your homeland, you left your gods, and you pledged yourself to Naomi, you pledged yourself to Yahweh. We all see that. But now you've taken even a step further. You're, you're saying, let's get married, but you're saying Naomi's part of the deal. You're being so good to her. I see it. He says, I see it. I see what you're doing. You had opportunities. You could have chased after the younger men. He says, you didn't chase after the younger men, rich or poor. This, this tells us that, that quite possibly he's an older man. It doesn't mention that he has a family. And so he probably doesn't. And he, he said, he says this, he's saying, look, I've seen how they look at you. I've seen how they talk to you. I know that could have been a temptation for you. But even in that, you're thinking of Naomi. You're thinking of Naomi. And then verse 11, now my daughter, don't be afraid. He says, I know you're nervous, don't be afraid. He wants to calm her fears. He wants to calm all the what ifs. He suddenly, it's like his heart is melting. He goes, man, I want to protect you. I want to protect you. So don't be afraid. I will, do, I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of character. And the word town there literally is, is, could be the word gate. He says, all of us know. We've talked about this. We know at the gate where the business occurs, where the decisions happen. Those are my people. The, these are the movers and the shakers. We're all big smokes, right? And we have noticed we have noticed you're of noble character. You're a woman of excellence. And, and I mean, typical with Hebrew words, it has all these meanings that are wrapped up in it. Some of them are, are words like mighty and valiant and strong and a, a warrior, a fighter. We see that in you. You're a powerful woman. You love the Lord. We see you for who you really are. We've gotten past the misconception of racial and ethnic and religious stereotypes, and we see you, which is an incredible thing. Incredible thing. So in verse 12, although it is true that I am, a, I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. There's another covenant idea. Let, lie here until morning. All right, so he says, there's someone who is actually closer, who has first dibs. His point being, if I try to push this, and, and I want to get married to you, this guy can step in and say, hey, no, I get first dibs. You can't do that. 
I have to do it this way. But in the midst of saying, I have to do it this way, what is he saying? He's saying, oh, I've been thinking about this. Homie's been thinking about this for three months, right? He's been thinking about it, and he's been thinking about the possibilities. He's been thinking about what has to happen. He's been, so this whole thing, he's like, I'm on it. I'm on it. As surely as the Lord lives, he gives her an oath. I'm all in on you. He's promising her. He's promising her. Um, you're going to be taken care of. And I think as we look at the next chapter, we're going to see he's already thought about how he's going to deal with that guy. He's already got a plan. It's kind of sneaky. But he's going to make it happen. And so this is because this is, he wants her to know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. This is going to work out for good. And he knows at that moment, he can't verbally tell her, and we will be married. But he also knows in his mind, we are going to get married. I'm all in on this. I'm all in on this. And we'll see how he, next week how he goes about this in a very shrewd way. So he says, you can rest. I got this. This is my forte. The gate where everything happens, those are my homies. So start sewing a dress, right? So anyways, here we go. First, uh, first, first part, an obedient daughter. Then we saw a bold proposal. A woman, a woman asking a man to marry her. Who? <gasps> Unimaginable. And then third thing, a man on a mission. I want you to see this. In verse 14, so she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did, he poured out six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. All right. So first thing is, she, she lays down at his feet. Just earliest part of the morning, she starts to get up to get ready to go. He knows there's other men around. So he just says, yo, fellas, nothing happened. You know nothing happened. You were all right here. So don't say a word. Don't tell anybody she was here. We need to, this is for her reputation. You will ruin her if you say she was here because people will always jump to the worst thought. And implied in there is he's saying, look, I'm a righteous man and you know I'm a righteous man. You, you've watched her and you've watched me for the last three months. You guys work for me. You know she's a good woman. Nothing happened. So that's that. And I mean, you know, in a sense, they work for him. What are they... <laughs> Yeah, okay, right, so that's what happens. Then, verse 15, six measures of barley. We don't know exactly how much this is because really what it just says is six barleys of barley kind of a thing. It's one of those things you don't know what the measure is. But a number of people who, who are authorities in this, the consensus seems to be it's about 60 to 90 pounds of, of, the, of the grain, the best part, the very expensive part, which would be worth a lot of money in that economy. They, 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 and, and in a sense, what's going on here is Boaz just paid the bride price. And, and I mean, we do that today, right? Guy starts saving up money, maybe donates plasma, sells his prized stereo. I'm not speaking out of personal. Um, and gets a diamond ring and goes and gives it to a girl and asks her to marry him. There's a, there's a price involved. There's a bride price. And uh, I think Boaz just paid it. 
and it's a significant amount of money. And then in verse 16 and 17, as we wrap up, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Oh, how did it go? Yeah. Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed, right? Don't let your mother-in-law think I'm a cheapskate. Here's the bride price right here. I got your bride price. All right. So um, what is going on here? She tells her everything. Now, this is where you know, we got to use our imagination a little bit, but try to put yourself in Naomi's, in Naomi's shoes, sandals, right? She's come up with this plan. She, she understands the culture better than Ruth does, so she, she knows that if certain things happen, Boaz will take over and the ball will start rolling and things will just get crazy quick, right? And that's what she's hoping. And so she says, how did it go? And it says, Ruth told her everything. So Ruth said, okay, so... This is, you know, this is what happened. And I did this. And she goes, okay, okay, mm, that's good. And she said, and then he then, and then he said this. And she's like, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. And then she's saying, mm, and then he did this, and he did this. And she's like, oh, girl, she's t- he's totally into you. He's totally into you. And then he gave me six measures. And you know how much that is. And so I know how much that is. And he says, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. What is he saying there? She's in the deal. You were worried about her? She's in it. I'm taking the whole package. And she's like, oh, won't he do it? Mm-hmm. This man is on it. He's on it. He's a man on a mission. And that is why when you get to verse 18, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For this man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Today. Now, redeeming, a little bit of research, a little bit, redeeming of land, kinsman redeemer, nearest of kin taken. These are things that take time. Take, they take time. Land acquisition titles, all this kind of stuff. They take time. Even in those days, it took time. And what is Naomi saying? Not this one. This one's going to take less than 24 hours because I can tell that man is smitten, right? And so he is all about, and, 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 and he goes back, he goes back to the town. All right. I just wanted somehow to get a picture of somebody running, just running, because this is what I imagine this is what I imagine with Boaz. Boaz, he is like talking. He says, don't you worry. I got it. Don't you worry. Boing, and he goes, and he goes. And the next chapter, we'll see that. We'll see a man on a mission. Okay, let's get into something else. Everybody's just going to watch. <laughs> okay, good. And so what do, we, what do we get out of this? I mean, this is a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. But we, get this, we come to the same point we come to a lot of times where you can say, Bob, that's just so cool. And, you know, the history stuff is, I love that. And I love this and all that. But so what? How does that impact me? Right? First thing, remember this. Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. And we are a picture of Ruth. We are hopeless and we are helpless. And we need to come under the wings, the cloak of someone who can take care of us. And we try to come under our own cloak and we do a terrible job. 
We mess it up all the time. And God is saying, I am your kinsman. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. He redeemed us. And we see this in these beautiful pictures as we move to the New Testament where Jesus is the groom and the church, us, we're the bride. And it paints this picture of this groom who is so in love with his bride. He goes to prepare a place for her. Right? We talked about this. And what happened in those days? That was adding another room, preparing that place. And the father was in charge. So the son didn't get careless and stupid and want to just say, it looks great, and then run get his run get his bride before the room. So the father's in charge. So when they say, when are you coming back? Jesus says, only the father knows, because that's his job. And what would he do? You know, he'd gather his friends. They'd go, and they'd, they'd, they'd go to the town, and they'd shout, and they'd blow a, blow a horn. He's here. He's here for you. And all the engaged women in the town were like, oh, is that my guy? But there's only one. <laughs> they had the 10 virgins and the nine are disappointed because he only came from one of them. He's, Jesus is going to come and he can't wait to get his bride. So it's a picture. It's a beautiful picture of us. Second thing I think about is you need a Naomi. You need a Ruth in your life. You need someone you can trust and love. It can be a husband or a wife, but it can be much more than that. Because we see this with Jonathan and David in Scripture. They loved each other dearly. It's a love that's not based on romance. It can be in a romantic relationship, but it's not based on romance. It's based on this mutual trust, this mutual idea that I want what's best for you. It's an incredible thing to have when you experience that kind of a relationship. I love, as we see Boaz as a picture of Jesus too, that he has carefully thought out what he was going to do. He did not come up on this plan haphazardly. He thought of it. He's been thinking about it for a long time. And we see with Jesus the determination to reach his goal, the cross, to reach his goal, the redemption of you and I. I also think, you know, it comes up a number of times in here. In Christ, we have our final rest. Jesus says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will be at home. In the book of Hebrews, we're admonished, enter into his rest. It is available for you. And the fourth thing I see here, because it just is shot through this, is that we are to be people of excellence. We are to be people of excellence. We are to be the kind of people that other people look at and say, I trust them. I trust her. I trust him. I can put my faith in them because they are a person of excellence who will follow through on what they say. Now, we all know we're sinners, and we blow it sometimes. That's understandable, but we should strive to be like Boaz, like Ruth, be people of excellence that other people trust and put their faith in because they know what we're like. This is what Jesus has called us to be as we walk in his footsteps, as we become more like him. And it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. He still wants you to keep growing in that way becoming a person of excellence. And so then we need to look at ourselves and start thinking, do I have someone like that in my life? Do I see that this is Jesus I'm reading about? Have I experienced this rest? And do I want to be a person of excellence? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
we thank you for the truths that are in this scripture, that it is alive and it, it is like a two-edged sword. It cuts us to the quick. It reveals things that need to be dealt with. Lord, help us not to ignore it. Help us not to look at this and say, oh, it's a wonderful story, and then walk away and forget. But to see this has eternal significance in our lives. God is doing something even here 3,000 years ago that affects us today, impacts our lives today. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are that kind of a God, the kind of God we can run to for rest, the kind of God we can run into your open arms, that you have provided that for us. Help us to be found faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.